Fantastic. You all doing okay? Great. Privileged to be able to um, dedicate Lola today and uh, for that to be a part of what we do as a church family. Loads of good stuff coming up. Remember the announcements. If you want to know the announcements, you can, uh, you can get your weekly email from Stuart. How many people enjoy their weekly email? All right, all right. There's room for improvement there. Everything you need to know. Okay, who enjoys Stuart's weekly email? <clears throat> Fantastic. We've got some good stuff going up. Don't forget that if you're interested in joining the Forge Ministry School, today, this week, is the week to sign up. We are going to take a year to pour ourselves into the lives of everyone in that ministry school. And uh, there's ways that you can do it in person and online. And the website is family.church forward slash forge. But it's not time to hang around. This is the time to get signed up. And you know, Jesus used to walk through the Gospels and just step into people's worlds. I was talking to Stuart about this the other day. And he would just step into people's well-organized worlds and say, come and follow me and I will make you. And he didn't do that to people that didn't have anything else to do. It didn't look like for people who were bored. He went to tax men, he went to lawyers, he went to doctors, he went to fishermen, people with family businesses. And he stepped into their world and said, hey, come and follow me and I'll show you a life bigger than what you've seen for yourself. I really believe that that's the heart of the Forge Ministry School. That we're saying to people, if you're ready for a change, if you're ready for some things to turn around, why don't you give a year of your life to this ministry school and see what God will do in that year? So get signed up. I'm just trying to find anyone that's on the edge of coming. I just want to give you a good push and say, come along. And also, in, in not next week, but the week after, we're going to take three weeks. Some people have um, come to me recently, a number of people have come to me recently and said, everywhere we're turning on the news, there's the sound of disaster, financial ruin, um, economical um, destruction. Um, can we teach on this? I said, absolutely. We're going to take three weeks, not next week, but the week after, to teach on a biblical view on how to navigate a financial crisis. All right? This is about you. This is about you not being scared. This is about you understanding what the Bible says concerning handling your wealth and your finances. And we're going to teach on stewardship, tithing, and sowing and reaping over three weeks. Now, don't make it a stay away Sunday. I've heard it all before. Who knows? You could hear something over those three weeks that causes you to come through what the world is saying is a financial crisis, actually strong and secure in your heart, experiencing God's provision. So not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, we're going to take three weeks, it's going to be fun, to journey through what the Bible says that we should do in a financial crisis or a famine. As the Bible records, there's been famines before and there will be famines after, but God's got a plan for us in a time where the world is getting worried. Do you believe that? Yeah. All right, okay. Now, I want to share a little bit today on the love of God because the church, that's you and me, the church isn't a building on a, on a corner of a street. A church isn't a meeting that people go to once a week. The church is a people, a community of people who've been called out of darkness into his light, followers of Jesus, people who acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and see themselves as a part of God's family. That is the church. Now, I believe that the church is called to introduce God to a needy and broken world. 
That's one of our purposes. It's not to lock ourselves away in a building and sing songs on a Sunday. God has a purpose for us, and one of the purposes of God for us, the church, individually and as a group of people, is to step into a world that's really needy, really broken, and introduce God to them in a way that their life can be changed. You've only got to turn on the news to see the world seems to be getting even more needy even more broken. Yet actually, the Bible says that we, the followers of Jesus Christ, have the answers to their need. And we have the answers to the questions that many of them don't even know that they've got yet. So it's important that as the people of God, we represent God. But it's also important that we represent him well, right? Now, if I send somebody to represent me, that's brilliant, but I hope they represent me well. And Jesus taught about this in his parables. But if you imagine, if I sent somebody to represent me and I couldn't make it, but I sent somebody to represent me and they turned up, top points for turning up. But if they turned up and they said, he's a nutter, he's a nutcase. Some of you would go, well, that's not a bad represent. No, he's not. Oh, he's mean. He's cruel. He's not kind. He's vicious. He's nasty. Even though they turned up, they're really not doing me any favours because they're not representing me well. And people won't be able to benefit from my life from the way that they've introduced me to them. And I believe that this is a problem that religion has caused over many years. That religion took the responsibility to introduce God to people, but didn't introduce a God who was love, but introduced a God who was judgmental, cruel, not for people, sitting there with a baseball bat, waiting for them to do something wrong. We've got a big job on our hands, church. We need to show this world, a world that's broken and a world that's in need, that God isn't nasty. He isn't unkind. He isn't cruel. He isn't against people. He's for people. So we've got to represent God well. And there's many ways that we could represent him. We could represent him in his holiness. God is holy. We could represent him in his um, creator capacity. That God created all things. There's many ways that we can and should represent God. But I believe the greatest thing that we should represent God is concerning this very simple statement that's really been reshaping my life the last four or five weeks as I've thought about it. Are you ready? God is love. Full stop. God is love. In a world that's confused about its origins, confused about who God is, it's imperative, it's vital that we show this broken world a God who is love. I want you, if you've got your Bibles with you, to turn them to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Not the Gospel of John, the first book of John. And we're going to have these verses on the screen if you didn't get to bring a Bible with you, a book or on your phone. But these words have really captured my heart in a fresh way. Don't you love it when you read the Bible and you've read a verse a thousand times? And then suddenly you read it again and it's like the Holy Spirit just makes it come alive and affect you, affect your life. That's what's been happening with me in this verse recently. I've got a kind of relationship going on with this verse. And it says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16, 
And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Here's a question. Don't worry about people getting up and leaving. They're not offended. They've got a special group for the ignition age going out. Now, isn't this a great statement that we, the people of God, know and rely on the love that God has for us? Not the love we have for him. We should rely on the love that God has for us. And then it makes this statement. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. Because if God is love, if you live in love, you're living in God. And God in them. That's the statement I want to look at in the time we've got together this morning. That God wants us to be a people who rely on his love. Because we know in our hearts that God is not just good... But God is love. That's a great statement. Now, this discovery that God is love is what people need in their world if they want to experience a world change. But it's also, I believe, what Christians need to rediscover as well. I really believe that if you don't know God today, if you don't know Jesus today, what you need above all things is just an understanding where God steps into your world and introduces himself as love. But the problem is many of us don't know what love is, so we miss the introduction. I believe that the world is walking around in a confusion. I think it was the band Foreigner, wasn't it, that came up with that great anthem, I want to know what love is. Listen, people are still walking around saying, I want to know what love is, and they're looking to people and they're looking to politicians but they're also looking to us and they're singing I want you to show me we need to understand that the way that we help people to understand what God is or what love is is we introduce them to him for me as a Christian sometimes the baggage that you can pick up as you're walking with Jesus become like a wardrobe that you need to empty a long time ago right But when you first get born again, you first meet Jesus, his love impacts your heart. His love changes you. You're happy, you're joyful. It's all about the love of God. But before long, religion begins to put obligation on you, where you need to be, what you need to do, how you need to dress, how you need to speak. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And before long, as a Christian, a lover of God, you can be so weighed down with the baggage of Christianity that you're missing the point. Like a Christmas tree that's over-decorated. That's what some Christians are like. But then all of a sudden, God picks moments where he strips the Christmas tree of all the decorations that are good but not vital to reveal the tree. What's the tree of Christianity? It's simply this. God is love. God is love. Now, When you encounter the love of God, that's when your life changes. I was pretty gone. I was pretty wild. I'd pressed the self-destruct button in my life at the age of 20-odd, and I was on my way off the edge of a cliff. Nothing could help me. But then one day I encountered not a religious God, but the love of God. And it so impacted my life. 
I've never been the same ever since. Come on, anybody else? Come on, this is our story. This is our song. Amen. Praising our Jesus all the day long. Now, we need to understand that love is who he is. It's not just what he does. And this is sometimes our confusion because we understand love being attributed to someone who loves. So we may say of ourselves, we are loving. We love. We show love. That's not the same for God. He is love. We say that somebody has love when they're loving. God loves because he is love. Just like God, God in his essential nature is good. He doesn't become good when he does good things. Does that make sense? We often become good when we do good things. In the same way, God doesn't become love because he's loving. He loves because he is love. It's an expression of his life, the very person of who he is. Now, there's two key life-shaping truths, I believe, that answer the questions in people's hearts, in the society, in the day that we live. Number one is in the beginning God. And you can read that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the book. That answers so many questions for me. Not, does it not for you? But in the beginning, God. How did this all start? How did we get here? In the beginning, God. But then when you add to that statement, this verse that we find in 1 John, and God is love. You've got the ingredients of not something, but someone that can change your life beyond any imagination you ever had of what life change could be. But I suppose the problem is when we say God is love, do we understand what love is to be able to give that title to a person because when we say God is love sometimes we're looking at our definition of love or the world's or society's definition of love which many times is warped but when I look at what the world says love is more often or not I find it not to be love but lust. They've both got four letters and begin with L, but they're very different. You see, lust takes. Lust makes sure you've got what you need. Lust fulfills you. Lust looks after number one and benefits number one. But the Bible doesn't say that God is lust. The Bible says that God is love because love is a different experience to lust. Not just young people, older people. Sometimes I've spoken to them and they've told me they're in love. <laughs> but when they've unpacked the dynamics of the relationship, it exposed to me, that's not love, it's lust. So when we approach God to know him as love, we've got to understand ourselves what love is. I believe that God paints a beautiful picture of what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the great love chapter, isn't it? 
It introduces us to love. Remember, God is love. Love is God. So as we read these verses, we're not just discovering what love is. We're discovering who he is. All right? So what's love? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It it is not proud. It does not dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. That's lust. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love, you see, never fails. So if we were to use another description or title that God gives himself, which is love, we could change the word love for God, couldn't we? The Bible's taught us that God is love. So whether we use the word love or God, it's really not relevant. It's the same person. How do we know God? God is patient. (laughs) These verses don't, don't release something a person does. It releases who that person is. If you want to know who God is, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God doesn't dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with truth. God always protects. He always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. And God never fails. Now, we need to understand that to understand God's love triggers an understanding of many other things that can change our life. We sing songs that include words like mercy and grace, but we need to understand that mercy and grace spring from love, that it's because God is love. He shows mercy to people that need mercy. Because God is love, he doesn't just love, he is love. God gives grace to people in time of need. Now it was said of grace that grace was God not give, God giving you what you didn't deserve. But mercy is God not giving you what you did deserve. What causes God to show mercy and give grace to us daily isn't because of obligation. It's because he can't help himself. Because both of these things and every other blessing he has for us come from who he is. Who's God? God is love. So I've got three what ifs for you today. Because I think when we discover rediscover God as love, it can change everything. It can declutter the wardrobe of our Christianity, make things really simple again, like they were always meant to be. Okay, here's three what ifs. What if number one? What if all God ever wanted from us from the beginning of time was a love relationship 
not religious service. What if the religious services that we've created that cause us to walk in obligation to a creator God are nothing more than shallow replacements to something much better that God desires from us? God wants a love relationship with you and me. Number two, what if, again, we simplified things and made his love or our love for him the thing that compelled us to do what we do? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of God compels me. What if we weren't looking for religious teaching to compel us, to make us love others, to make us serve, to make us live like we should, but actually we were allowing the love of God that's come to live in our hearts to be the thing that stops us doing things that we shouldn't do, but also causes us to do the things that we know we should what if we remove some of the other incentives like title and reward and just made it about a love relationship with God? But I don't do this because I love God. Come on, within a marriage covenant and the covenant relationship between a man and a woman is the clearest display of the relationship that God wants with us. The reason he gave marriage was that it wasn't good for a person to be alone, but also to reveal the style and the type of relationship the creator of the universe wanted with those that he'd made in his image. Does a man not commit adultery because there's a bit of paper he signed? Or does he keep away from adultery because of the love he has for the other person? What if the love that we have for God was the thing that compelled us to do and not do? To serve, to give. Interesting question, hey? And my third what if. What if the Christian life that we often make so difficult was really as simple as what Jesus said it was in Luke 10 verse 27 when he was asked by a teacher and the teacher was trying to catch him out. What's the greatest thing that a person should do, Jesus? What should a person concentrate on above anything else, Jesus? Jesus' response was very simple. This is what matters the most. Love the Lord your God with the very best of who you are. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now we know that the problem with people loving others is often a lack of self-love for themselves. We understand that. And I'm not talking about a self-love that makes you not being able to move past a mirror when you walk past it, you know? You know, oh, did I just see myself? Sorry, I'm 20 minutes late. I caught a view of myself in a window and couldn't leave. <laughs> but just a healthy love that we understand the life that God's given us to live. We value this life. But we live our life to love him with all that we are. And that loving him causes us to be able to love ourselves as we should. And when we love ourselves, not lust ourselves, we're able to love, not lust others. But it all comes from a relationship, not with God. Let's rename him today with love himself. Okay, in the story of the gospel, 
Who was Jesus then? Jesus was a number of things, wasn't he? But one of the things I believe Jesus was, was heaven's love baby walking the earth so that we could see what love was in a world that was confused about what love was. Because when you see Jesus, the son of God, now Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him, which in other words, Jesus was saying, if God is love, so am I. If you experience love from me, you can have a good image of what you'll experience from him. Jesus said, I don't do anything on the earth that he doesn't do. As he is, so am I. So when we look at the Gospels and we read about Jesus, I'm not talking about the book of Numbers or the book of Leviticus. I'm talking about when God stepped out of heaven, when love stepped out of heaven and walked on the earth. When we read the Gospels, do you see Jesus beating people? The only upset he had in his heart was for those who were religious hypocrites, right? Those who should be leading people but were actually abusing them in their leadership. But come on, when that woman was caught in adultery and she was meant to be stoned to death, what did Jesus do? Remember, Jesus was God on the earth. Heaven's love baby walking in the realm that we live in. Jesus bent down and restored her and caused her to walk away free. The person with leprosy, he restored. The person broken, he mended. Everything that Jesus did showed love to people who didn't deserve it because Jesus was God walking on the earth so that we could have an image and living examples of what it looks like when love in all its purity visits planet earth. But then we look at the crucifixion, don't we? And we can have questions about the crucifixion, Jesus Christ, son of God, the third person of the Godhead coming to the earth, but then dying on a cross, the most brutal death, a death that was given to the worst of criminals in that time. But actually within the crucifixion, if we look close enough, we see the fullness of God's love for you and me expressed. Here's a verse about love you may have heard before. It's one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world. He gave his only beloved son to die on a cross, to give his life. But whoever would believe in him shouldn't have to remain in a life of perish, but could find life everlasting, life worth living, not just in the heaven to come, but here on earth. You see, Jesus Christ was the full expression dying of the cross of the ultimate love that God had for you. There was no other way to restore us back into relationship with God without God damaging his own righteousness. To fulfill his own righteousness, God had to die for the sins of the world. God died for our sin so that we could become a part of his family. What did that look like? Sometimes you hear Christians say, well, I don't know how much God loves me. Pastor Andy, how much does God love me? The answer is simple. His son crucified on a cross to restore you into relationship with himself at his own cost. 
That's the extent of God's love. How can you not love him when you understand he loves like that? And then we've got the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm skipping through a lot of theology. But we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit. But God, when we've received Christ as our Savior, God comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. Now, we believe in God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all are equally God, which means God spoke from heaven in the Old Testament. God came to earth in Jesus Christ. But when a person receives Christ and is born of the Spirit, God, who is, comes to live in the life of those who were once loveless. So, why do I need to include that bit? Simply because we're not just called to understand or know his love. We're called to live lives that show his love. It's not good enough for us to walk around saying, I've encountered the love of God. I see the love of God on the cross of Christ. I've received God into my heart. Now love has come into my life. It's not good enough then to live an ugly life where you treat other people wrong. Because the natural expression of your life should be the expression of the tree you're joined now to. And the greatest fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't speaking in other languages. It's speaking the language of love. I've met Christians before that speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But sadly, after speaking in tongues, you watch them treat people in the most ugly of ways. Yet their life, apart from speaking another language, speaks not the language of love, but bitterness, unforgiveness, and hate. My friends, these things ought not to be. But if love has now come to live in us, if love has been shed abroad in our hearts, should it not be a natural thing for us to now love God back? Should we force ourselves to love a God who loved us so passionately? Is it really a hard thing to love others? Or is that just us allowing God who now lives in us who is love, to express his life, which is loving, through our lives that are submitted to him. All right, let's end where we started. First John, chapter 4, verse 16. And so we know and we can rely on the love that God has for us. It's infallible, it will never fail you. It's not like the love of man that's built upon performance, whether we do right, whether we hit the target. Love's, the love of God is solid because it's not what he does, it's who he is. But then it says this, this is how, this is how love is made complete amongst us. Sorry, verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. Isn't that a wonderfully simple recipe? Those who live in God live in love. Those who live in love 
experience love living in them. Remember the teaching of Jesus in John 15? If you abide in me, then I abide in you. If you're a branch and I'm a tree, I'm a tree and you're a branch, the life is the same. So if we've encountered the love of God and it's changed us and is changing us, we shouldn't have to force ourselves to resemble constipated apple trees in loving others. Oh, that person is so unlovable. Oh, now I've got to love them. Let me bear the fruit of love. Push out another apple of love. No, my friends, that's religion. For us, loving others should be a natural thing to those who it once wasn't. But we love because he first loved us. We understand what love is because we've discovered him and discover him each and every day. Okay, so maybe you're here today. This is where the music changes and the air goes thick and I throw out a super challenge. Maybe you're here today and you were taken to church and you experienced religion. But you've never encountered love. Love that can change you and reshape you beyond anything you've dreamed. Love that displays mercy and grace, not judgment and punishment. Because judgment and punishment were poured out on Christ on the cross. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus or asked the Lord to come into your life, to forgive for things you've done wrong, to come into your life and give you a brand new start. Today is an opportunity. You could do it on your own before you go to bed tonight. There's no rules that you have to do it in church on Sunday morning. But often it's when the Lord is touching our heart, that's the perfect moment to respond. So I just want to give an appeal because I'm not judging you, I judge myself. I don't know where you're at, I'm busy watching my life. But if you're here today and you say, I've never given my life to Jesus, I've never encountered the love of God. I want to know what love is. Like the song in the 70s, I want to know what love is. And I want someone to show me. God will show you. God will show you. It says he stands at the door and he knocks. All you've got to do is open the door and say, come on then, prove it. And the rest is down to him. Just smile, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Would you pray a prayer with me this morning? If you're a God lover or you're not, would you pray a prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the creator of everything. But you also introduce yourself as love. I want to know what love is. I don't want to bring you down and make you like me. I want to lift my head and see what I'm meant to be. I don't want to bring your love down and make it what I think it should look like. 
but I want to encounter your love in all of its beauty and purity that my life would be changed thank you Jesus you didn't have to die on a cross you chose to to restore me back to the family of God thank you Jesus for dying on a cross for me because of no other reason than love I give my life to you now and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit let love run through the corridors of my life let my life be born anew born afresh let me walk in a love relationship with you God from this day forwards Amen just my every head head's closed head bowed eyes closed if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus or you don't believe that you're a part of his family or you don't know if you're saved but you prayed that prayer from the innermost part of who you are and you want to leave this room knowing that you're right with God once and for all don't look at the people next to you to determine that you need to get an answer from heaven regarding that the Bible says if you prayed that prayer we just prayed and you believed in your heart you make a confession the Bible promises the receipt of our salvation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ if he didn't rise from the dead we couldn't have absolute belief that we are saved completely but Jesus Christ rose from the dead his resurrection is the receipt of God that man has been paid for and salvation comes through Christ alone if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to start a love relationship with God I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand one two Three. If that's you, lift your hand today and say, right now I'm starting a love relationship with God. I'm not judging where anyone's at. I'm just making an opportunity. In case there's a man, a woman, or a child, and you want to know that you know that you know that you've got a relationship with God. If that's you, just pop your hand up. No one's looking around. This is between you, God, and obviously I'm watching, but that's the extent of this. It's going to wait a couple of moments. Going to count it down from five just to give an opportunity of closure. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this room. Father, we want to know what love is. We want to experience your love beyond anything we've known thus far. We want to experience love in a way that it changes us beyond anything we imagined we could change. God, we don't want religion. We don't want restriction. We want a love relationship with a God that loved us so much he would lay down his life to restore us. To that we pledge our hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well done. Well done. Well, I pray that you have an awesome week. Don't forget to sign up for Forge and stick around for a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. And have an amazing week where you fall deeper in love with God each and every day. God bless you.